0: Let's turn to Luke nineteen twenty-eight. Luke 19, 28. Title of my message is, This is the Day. We're in that passage of, this is the day of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, the day in which he officially presents himself to Israel as their Messiah, This is the day, if Israel will see it, if Israel will, will receive him, this is the day in which God will bring so many blessings to their life, but we know they will not see it. They will, it looks like they'll see it, they'll rejoice, and then just days later, they will reject This is the day the Lord has made. We will, what? We will rejoice and be glad in it. That scripture is specifically written of this day of the triumphal entry. The people rejoice, waving palm branches. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. And then just days later, they will choose Barabbas over Jesus, the fickle nature of people. Anyone know Barabbas' first name? It's Jesus. Jesus, son of God, or Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas. Bar Abba. Bar Abbas means son of the father. He is literally a substitute imitation Jesus. An unholy Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? It is scary how that plays out. He is a picture, a type of the Antichrist. A substitute imitation Jesus Christ, the opposite of a holy savior, the Antichrist will be an unholy savior, the Antichrist. An opposite imitation is what the word means. An opposite imitation. People cry for a leader to come, and yet when the leader comes... They want the benefits, but don't want the imposed restrictions of what good leadership brings. Now, just to drop in here a quick second, the world is watching our elections, are they not? Anyone not know you have to fill out your ballot, you need to get it in? Have you gotten like a hundred texts and calls this week to fill out your ballot and get it in? I have. And here's all I want to say. Proverbs 19.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Proverbs 19.2. People want, they don't want righteous rulers because ultimately people want to be free to do whatever they want to do. Until they start suffering the consequences of ungodly leadership, and then what do they do under supply chain shortages, under rising inflation and in and rising interest costs? We could go down the list, look at our news. What is our population in America doing, doing right now? Are they rejoicing or groaning? They are groaning, Thank you, Patrick. Here's a litmus test. Do we have good leaders or bad leaders? It's easy. Even anybody can see, right? We debate this all year. This party or this party. All of a sudden, the curtains are pulled back and everyone is groaning. Are you with me? This is a snapshot, a moment where maybe you could say, we have not had good leaders. Of course, they're not godly, but it's not been good. Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her children. I love that scripture because good decisions is what wisdom is. The application of knowledge is proven by the results A good parent produces usually good children, most of them. You get one or two here and there that have their own mind, but good parenting often produces good results. And so right now, even the ungodly in our country are crying for more conservative or more godly leaders they may not say be saying they want godly leaders but generally in america the morality has been shaped by the bible do you know that even before say up until about 50 years ago when there was a moral shift in america there was a common consensus of what was moral standards even among non-christians non-church people there was a consensus of right and wrong that standard in our country came from the Bible whether they know it or not and now there has been such a shift away from the Bible and it's going farther and farther away until people say "Oh, we don't want that we need to shift back and when that happens in our country that has been in the past when revival happens. Happened after World War I. It happened after Vietnam. We have this cycle of rebellion and revival in America. I did not expect to talk about all of this. You, you imposed this on me. You've made me talk about these things. It just seems fitting. Rebellion and revival. This picture of this is in the book of Judges. You Old Testament Bible students, if you'd like to, that's why we study the whole Bible to see what this looks like. Human nature is the same in any time. The book of Judges is seven cycles of rebellion being ruled over and then God delivering The people by a series of deliverers or judges, like Gideon and Deborah. And when things get so bad, in other words, we get what we want. God gives us what we want. It becomes so bad, and then we cry out for help. And because God is faithful, He doesn't say, Oh, too late. It's amazing how faithful and patient God is with me. Say amen. And you. God is faithful with us. We don't want his help until we're suddenly in so much trouble and we cry out for help. And that cycle goes around seven times in the book of Judges. Seven times. And God keeps delivering, keeps delivering, like he does with us. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Share that with your friends this week and see what they think. Americans are groaning. Hopefully they will pray and vote, and we can see the Lord bring revival. You know, it's not enough to just get right policies. We want revival. The last time this happened was in the late 60s. I shared this many times, but it's worth remembering. What led to the Jesus movement of the late 60s and 70s was social chaos, which happened in the 60s. There was a series of events that led up to people being so desperate they knew their only hope was God. And we are there now. The Fed's not going to bail us out. The, whoever is not going to bail, we've, they've, they keep promising and it's not happening. I have a little bit of time for my notes this morning. Let's touch on a couple of things. And this day is the day. Now, does Jesus know the people are going to reject him? And he's going, yes. Now, with that in mind, he still presents himself. That is the love of God. So, but first of all, he prepares himself for this day. He prepares himself for this day. That is verses 28 through 36. Verse 28 says that when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where you will enter and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone says, asks you, what are you do, why are you do, loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Verse 32, so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, Well, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. They threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him as they went Many spread their clothes on the road. It is important to see that Jesus deliberately is setting the stage. He said in Luke 18, 31 to 33, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. It will be for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Now, is there any question about what Jesus thinks is going to happen? Any question? And yet you will find people say, oh, well, Jesus, the cross and the crucifixion you know, whole scenario, that was really a backup plan. Jesus didn't intend for that to happen. He just became a martyr and the disciples ran with it. The odd things that people come up with as if it's intelligent at all. And they say, we are not intellectually honest. And you realize the crazy stories people come up with to get out of accepting the gospel. Do you know how hard people work to deny the obvious? They work especially hard. The question is why? Now, I work as your pastor especially hard to prove the obvious. I'm like an attorney. I'm making my case. I'm presenting evidence. Jesus said here, and they said here, and here's the evidence, and here's the predictions, so that you the jury can come to a conclusion and say, yes, this is the truth. That's what this feels like to me. I'm like a, an attorney presenting a case so that you can make a decision. And it is so clear, by, and yet people will work especially hard to get out of it. Why? Why? Because if they accept the evidence, it means they have to change their lifestyle. And they don't want to. Now, people don't have to change. God's not forcing them to change. They can just say, I see that the Bible is true, but I don't want it. I want to do my own thing. Can they do that? but their conscience is so convicted that they can't just tell the truth. And that's what the Jews have done. They have the scriptures. The scriptures came through their nation, and yet they distorted it and began to even deny, deny the resurrection or that there is a next life and an accounting to God. That's all over the Bible. That one day there is an accounting to God for our life, a day of judgment. And in order to get out of a reckoning, they have to distort or alter the very doctrines that say, and scriptures that say, we will all stand before God. So as crazy as that is, be careful, because we're human as well. We are able to ignore the evidence. We are able to say, I'm not ready to hear that because I want to do what I want to do. Sound familiar? Now, we love to tell the stories of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know why they're called Sadducee? Because they're sad, you see. (laughs) I just, I have to do that. It's in my job description as a pastor to make those jokes. Jesus has made it so plain that everyone then is rightly accountable because people will say, well, that's not fair that they would have to stand before God and be judged. Well, that, that, what, all, what that is doing is implying is that God is not fair. Sound familiar? That's another way to get out of this. Well, God's not fair, so none of this applies to me. Is God fair? Of course. And so while it may be true that some people haven't heard the whole gospel, as you have heard the gospel, John 3, 16, It is true that every person in any part of the world has had some testimony of the existence of God. That's Romans 1, creation. Anyone can see in creation design. And design requires what? A designer. And if there is a designer, he must be the one I'm accountable to. Even tribes throughout the world who have never heard the gospel, who have never seen a white person or a missionary or whoever they were from whatever country, they knew this. There are stories. I think I'm going to get to the first point of my notes and finish the rest next week. Okay? Missionaries have come home from the mission field who had gone to the jungles where people had never seen outsiders. And when they finally get there, as they figure out how to communicate with these people through signs and different things, they discover that the people in these completely remote tribal villages have already received a vision or a dream that the sky God, the creator God, is going to send somebody with a message. That record, that story has been told over and over again. If you want the stories of this, read a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. Eternity in Their Hearts. The Western message is, we should not be imposing our religion on their culture isn't that what we hear well what really happens is missionaries showed up and the and the local people have said where have you been what took you so long there's like almost always been somebody who had a dream in the village or a vision and they said even to Two white men are going to come and bring to us the lost book. Some version of that story has been told over and over by missionaries. So God who is faithful is able to reveal himself to people who have never heard the gospel or had a Bible in their hands just like God spoke to Abraham or Abram and said, if you get out from these people, the Chaldeans, I will begin with you and make a new family, a new name. God is able to reveal himself directly to people in creation, Romans 1, in conscience, Romans 2, in Christ, Romans 3. If someone has never heard of Christ, then the first to apply. They have the testimony of creation and the testimony of their own conscience. So in Romans 1, Paul says that even those who have never heard of God are without excuse. for so they've seen the invisible attributes of God in creation. And then in Romans 2, Paul talks about Gentiles who have never had the law. He says, if they don't have the law, why is it that they do the things written in the law? You shouldn't steal or lie or commit adultery. Why are they doing the very things that are in the law? Because God has written it on our hearts. Conscience means with knowledge. And so what we do know is that God is faithful. God is able to reveal himself. And here's what's important. God holds us accountable for what we do know, not for what we don't know. You should write that down. God holds us accountable for what we do know, not for what we don't know. So, You have the testimony of God's existence that there is a supreme creator God in creation because design requires a designer. You have the evidence of the existence of God in your own conscience because you do what's wrong and your conscience says that's wrong, don't do it. You have that awareness of moral right and wrong because God put it in your heart. Now, the atheist says, well, that doesn't mean God put it there. That just means that humans are by nature good, and we don't need God. We're good. And we've evolved to this state of a moral goodness. That statement is a contradiction. Evolution cannot produce purpose. If someone says, my life has meaning and this is right and wrong, that is the evidence of seeking purpose and meaning in life. And random chance can never produce meaning and purpose. Purpose is always the product of design. Anybody can figure this out. I don't mean to sound arrogant. It's just not that hard to figure out. That meaning requires design. It is the designer that fashions something in a way that gives it purpose. The fact that we instinctively in our hearts know that life has more purpose is evidence of the existence of God. People have to work really hard to override that awareness. And they will do it until they are so desperate that they need help. And that is where we are as a country. That's where the generation was of the 60s. I just remembered my own brother... I'm the youngest of five children, and I'll finish with this story. But I have three older sisters. You should feel sorry for me. I have an older brother who is in heaven, 11 years older than me. About 20 years ago, he got cancer, a tumor in his his tongue. He went to to church as a child. But then once he was out of the house, never looked back, had no interest in God or church or anything. About uh, almost 20 years ago, um, his wife called and said, your brother wants you to come. He had moved to Hawaii about 35 years ago, almost 40 years ago, got married, going to get away, do his own thing knew the gospel, but didn't want anything. When I became a pastor, never, ever asked me ever about me being a pastor, what that was like, tell me anything about it. We never talked about it. My brother, who was my size, now I'm 190 pounds, all muscle, mind you. He got down to 95 pounds, skin and bones, his wife called and says, can you come today? So I'm getting on a plane to Hawaii. I'm thinking, I have no idea what to say to my brother. We don't talk anyway, but I got off the plane in Oahu, went to straight to his hospital, uh, walked in and the Lord just gave me the words I prayed with he and his wife to receive the Lord. But here's the thing. It took that to bring my brother back to the Lord. I knew that. And here's the thing. He knew that. He knew that that's what it took. Now, for about six months leading up to that point, I had been sending him cassettes of Bible studies I had done. You know what cassettes are? You remember those things? I, he, he had such severe headaches, he couldn't watch TV or listen to the radio. Uh, it was just hard for him to do anything. He couldn't read. And so I'm sending him bags of cassettes. And when I got there, he said, Terry, you're my pastor. I knew and he knew that that's what it took to get him back to the Lord. And he was completely okay with that. Now, the, the really strange part of this story is that my sister-in-law who was sitting there. Her brother also had cancer and was down the hallway in another room with bone cancer. And after I finished talking with my brother, Don and Kathy. She said, could you go visit my brother? And he and his wife were sitting there and I prayed with them to receive the Lord. God is more interested in your eternal salvation than in your prosperity or your perfect health. God will let you suffer a bit. If that's what it takes and maybe your own children are out there doing their own thing and it's okay if they suffer a little bit if they reap the consequences of rejecting God. God is with them. God loves them. I came home from Hawaii like the next day my sister-in-law called and said could you come back. It was so nice to have you here. (laughs) <laughs> I nice used to have a pastor in the family oh you need me now I nice used to have a pa- I said I can't come back but she said maybe you could call your pastor friend in Hawaii um, Bill Stonebreaker, pastored Calvary in downtown Honolulu and maybe somebody from the church could go visit my brother and so I called the church they said well we have a man in the church who it's his ministry to go visit people with cancer because he's had cancer So they send him that day. Well, it turns out that that man that went to visit my brother had just gotten out of the hospital that day, went right back and visited. There's only one hospital in Honolulu in Oahu that specialized in cancer, at least at that time. And it turns out that when that man was in the hospital, he was my brother's roommate. And so the Lord was just reinforcing more and more to my brother and his wife that they were, he was with them. That man, weeks later, that man passed away. And about a week later, my brother passed away. I went back to do my brother's funeral. That man was my brother's roommate, played drums at the Calvary in Honolulu. So I killed two birds with one stone. I went back, did my brother's funeral, and I also filled in and played drums for that man at church on a Sunday morning. And the pastor, my friend, told this this whole story to the church. I didn't expect to tell all this story to you this morning, but you're such demanding people, it just dragged it out of me. I just felt like this all just came together in my mind this morning. At this critical time in our country, it's a critical time even as Jesus is saying, I'm here, I'm ready. And just how this timing works. And it's a moment to decide. Like the triumphal entry, it's a, it's a moment of decision. We don't like being put on the spot, do we? I love all the evidence given to me. And then we. what do we say? Well, I'll think about it. There's a time to make a decision. The the moment of this, this day, which was predicted, I'll go into it next week. But here's the thing. What is it that God wants to do in your life today that he's brought you to this day and he would say today is the day of salvation and are you able to see it are you willing to receive it and respond to it or do you say that was great let me think about it because in the delay is uh, an indecision indecision tends to be put off so during this last song I'm going to ask my prayer team to come up and and just invite you to respond to the Lord if the Lord says here I'm speaking to you today I want you to make a decision about this and I absolutely believe that when I'm preaching to you the Lord is speaking to you and applying these things to areas of your life that I'm not aware of is that true There's no eye contact right now. Is that true? Is the Lord speaking to you? So between you and the Lord, respond. And make a decision. And put that area of your life in order that you've been ignoring. In your seat or come up and have someone pray for you. Let's stand together.